we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, I, I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 174 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside the fan favorite. You know him, you love him. Somewhere between iconic and psychotic. Fresh back from the Mediterranean region of the world. Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? How was your holiday? Yasu, Kalispera listeners. Very well, thank you, Johnny. Parakalon. Oh, sorry. It's not Parakalon. That means please and welcome. It's F. Caristo, which means F. thank F. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I can pick up a fair amount of most languages, but Greek has always been the hardest, which is strange because the, the first country uh, I ever visited outside of the UK was Cyprus when I was 17 years old. I, I wasn't on holiday. I went there as a soldier. So you would have thought I'd have picked up more Greek. But there's a reason why we say it's all Greek to me, because um, our language of English, not American, English, uh, is is Latin and Germanic based. So there you go. Anyway, I've waffled on about that enough. I'm back. I'm fully refreshed and glad to be back able to get things off my chest on the jolly old podcast glad to see that you had a, a great time ned did tell me that uh, everyone had a wonderful time i'd only briefly spoken to you since you've been back I haven't had a chance to have a long drawn out conversation and we actually did what all of five minutes of prep work so we're ready to just jump right into it we don't have really any plans well, but yeah go on yeah no, so you, our little chat was five minutes long, but there were long periods of time whilst um, lounging by the pool with hot and cold running waitresses bringing me pina coladas, beers, coffees, ice cream, baklava, in which I had to do a little bit of research on a couple of things, stuff that was in the news while I was out there. So I thought I wouldn't totally take the time off and, and have for once researched a thing or two i i did put you guys under orders not to do anything and ned comes back with a whole notebook full of stuff oh he he was at it constantly he just perched himself next to the bar the lovely so where you uh, get the best thinking done is is right next to the bar so yeah i mean we we didn't go mad we we weren't getting drunk or anything like that although we did have a few very nice cold beers but he must have gone through liters of strong black coffee while he sat there scribbling and, and looking at stuff. And the nice thing was that as Ned and I were sat there together on a number of occasions, people overheard our conversation and came up and, and wanted to be part of it. 
and it, it was quite refreshing. The trouble is, uh, and I don't mean this to be disparaging to anyone who is starting to wake up and realise what's going on and get angry about things, is that we often have to disabuse people of some of the more crazy ideas that are floating about. Although, really, when you break it down, the whole thing seems completely barking mad. But there, there's certain blind alleys that will, people will go up and wind up, if they're in a conversation with somebody else, making themselves look stupid and destroying the argument that we need to get out there. We've talked about this in the past with some of the weird and wonderful um, stuff that David Icke says. Despite the fact that he he was really close to the truth of what's happening a couple of decades ago, in fact, probably three decades ago, but because of the mysticism and and crazy stuff that he mixes it up with, that message didn't have as strong an impact as it as it might otherwise have had. No, you're right, and we've talked about that before. I remember seeing videos of him back in I want to say it was like the late '90s or something, uh, or mid '90s, somewhere along in there. Yeah. And he was talking about all the stuff that was going to happen down the road, you know, 20, 30 years in the future, and we're we're here now, and those things are happening. So he was right in that sense, but. When you start getting into like these, um, I'm trying not to laugh, the, the, this lizard people stuff that he talks about. Is, I'm sorry, I just, you lose me at that point. I, 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 can't, I can't go yeah, with you on and, that. And, and a lot of people uh, were lost at that point. So they, they threw, in fact, the title of, of the podcast was Don't Throw the Baby Out with the Bathwater, because that's what we were talking about. Um, they, they dismissed the whole argument because of, the poor chap's mental breakdown. I'm sure it was part of a mental breakdown that made him speak that way rather than being more factual in, in those areas. Uh, there, there is something else before we get stuck into anything else. Something got right up my nose today. What do you got? No, I see you, you, I see you've actually written it down. You're flipping through a notebook. I, I, like, it. I, have, I like it. I have I have written it down. And, and I started to, right, you know I still use Fastbook. And I keep an eye on things. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand. Um, but okay, all right, but, I'm with you. But I'm 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 really more monitoring it now than using it. And someone I know from from childhood had put this inspirational meme up on their page, and this particular person does it a lot. And quite often, I I feel like replying, but I know that would be the end of any kind of friendship or relationship if I actually said what I thought about their inspirational memes. So as I'm fairly sure they don't listen to the podcast, and if they do, well, bad luck, I'm going to say what I think of this particular one. And it's a quote from Plato. It says, The highest form of knowledge is empathy, for it requires us to suspend our egos and we live in another's world. Well, what happens if you get to that other person's world through empathy and you find out that it really sucks. If we suspend ego, which is basically a synonym for pride, it's it's how you view your personal standing. It's it's what drives some people to be competitive. It's perhaps your work ethic. Yeah, it's slightly different than than the id, which is your idea of self. You know the, that that real internalized thing. The ego is more an exterior presentation of of what you present. 
So if you suspend your ego while looking at somebody else's uh, life and, and their decisions, yeah, you, you can gain a level, a level of empathy, even sympathy in some cases. But if you take away your values, then anything is permissible and okay. Well, in some cases, it simply isn't. Some of the stuff we've talked about, the way in which this whole unicorn transgender idea is being forced on people. If you take away your ego and look at it, you would say, yeah, okay, why not? Just let everyone be whatever they want to be. But if you add your ideals and your um, values into your thinking, you'll say that's a decision to be made by an adult and not uh, stuff to be forced on the young uh, and malleable mind of, of our kids. Now, where was I going with that? That was it, really. That, that was just this meme that I wanted to immediately reply to uh, and put a comment on, but I, uh, I, discretion being the better part of valor, chose not to so that I don't lose a friend. But yeah, what a load of shit. Uh, <laughs> suspending your ego. Empathy isn't necessarily the, the, the highest form of knowledge, uh, as Plato put it, although I'm sure that's quite a bad translation. So inspirational memes... Keep them to yourself. Yeah, not all memes are bad, though. And as a matter of fact, I actually have one for you. You know what it's like when you get, well, I don't know if you've, have you ever been stopped for speeding? Uh, no, I've been fined no. for speeding. I've never been, been stopped. Okay. They oh, you got one of those. Me. Oh, they couldn't catch you. Okay. Well, you know, the, the usual deals, the police officer gets behind you, turns the flashers on, and then you have to pull over and then he walks up and he's got the ticket book out and taking your information. It's unfortunate we're not doing this on video. I mean, well, you and I are, but it's unfortunate that the, uh, the listener isn't purview to this, but I could picture you being one of these. The gentleman who is the driver of the car is standing there talking to the police officer and he says, it's medicinal. And the police officer responds, well, first of all, that's a belt-fed machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they say medicinal. It could be a therapeutic, of course, because I always feel a lot happier when I've got hold of a belt-fed machine gun. And, you know... Yeah, of course. Of course. At various stages does, in my life. It does I feel prevent, I feel it, more empowered, confident, you know. So so if someone has uh, confidence issues, nervousness, get a general-purpose machine gun. And to be honest, Bruce pointed this out when I showed him that last night. He said, yeah, he says it is medicinal. He says it prevents societal cancer. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, good old Bruce. But then again, Bruce did also say, let's just stop messing about and duke it out. He did, um, <laughs> he did yes. He wants to rip the, yeah, he wants to rip the yeah. Band-Aid off. I suppose we can get into that. I would like for you to, to weigh in on that. You said you that you listened to us last night. And I, I would like to point out before uh, you jump in there, this is the book that I was uh, discussing last night. And of course, I, I showed you this book some, some time ago when it came in. Yeah. This book is, again, and I quoted the price yesterday, this book is available uh, if you want to purchase it. It is quite expensive if you can get your hands on a copy of it. You can get the digital copy for around 50 to 60, depending on what country you're in, through Google or uh, Amazon, I think, even has it on Kindle. But if you are subscribed to uh, archive.org, which is the Internet Archive, which is a giant library, they have digital copies that you can take on a digital loan for up to two weeks for absolutely nothing. 
So it is available even if you don't want to pay for it and you're curious about reading it. But I thought I would put that out there because this is you one of those that- You need to say that, the title, Johnny, because- Yes, uh, I'll say it again. That, yeah. you, you, you didn't- Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll say it again. It's uh, Soviet Military Strategy in Europe by Joseph D. Douglas Jr. Uh, it's a fantastic book. It's nothing like what I thought it was going to be, but I can understand- I don't like it, but I can understand why the price is set the way that it is. Yeah. You know, the conversation you were having on the podcast uh, with just you and Bruce, I, I listening to it today, I was kind of wishing I'd have been in on that conversation, but we we have to get on when we when we can get on. The whole principle of, of tanks is about an armoured fist. It's to punch through, which is exactly what you were saying about the possible uses uh, of a tactical nuke and then punch the tanks through the the land that you've denied to the enemy using it. So uh, it's all about, it really is all about timing and meteorology as well. You have to have the weather in the right direction or the right kind of weather for those tactics to work and not lose all of your troops. You know, it's, uh, it's it's not the kind of warfare I was trained in because I was infantry when I was in the army and at sea as a weapons engineer. But I certainly understand the principle. And the thing is, they become vulnerable at that point because if you are pushing everything across this big swathe of land that you've just leveled with a tactical nuke and they're all in vehicles, they become very vulnerable to air counterattack at, at, at that point. The Nazis learned the lesson during the Battle of Kursk with large armoured divisions that were suddenly coming under air attack from the Russians and swarmed by infantry. The whole principle uh, that, by the sounds of it, is contained in the, in, in the Russian military doctrine for Europe is based on that whole blitzkrieg idea, lightning war, that the Nazis executed, and to a certain extent, really effectively. Of course. We now know that their vehicle drivers and their tank drivers and their tank crews were whizzing their tits off on a form of speed amphetamine. Yes, um, they certainly were. <laughs> and it would take a little bit, something probably a bit stronger than that to get me to drive a tank through somewhere that somebody has just nuked. So whilst their military doctrine contained in that book might be the plan, I think the execution of that plan, uh, like any plan, is going to fall to pieces on first contact with the enemy. And in this case, the enemy being absolute fear of the troops of traveling through an area that had just been nuked. What's fascinating to me is the amount of absolutes that I see, to kind of just add on to your point there, is, is the amount of absolutes that I see. Everything that's within this doctrine that, that Russia and... We haven't seen the Chinese in action yet, but we're going to. And you, I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I said yesterday, but and I was kind of echoing what you had said before, and please, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were brought up under the Soviet doctrine. And so their military fighting is going to be similar if not exactly the same, right? It, it is, but what, what you've got to remember is that those doctrines, those plans, are put together by ideologues. They're put together by true believers. And we've talked about the different strata of people within a totalitarian country. At the very top, you have the privileged, narcissistic, sociopath leaders who've got their 
crawling over the bodies of, of their nearest competitors to reach the top of that slippery pole. Underneath them, you've got a bunch of sycophant ideologues who will think that the troops that they're writing plans for feel the same way and have the same level of fervor for their totalitarian form of government and, and political system that they have. And that simply isn't the case. This is why the Russians in particular, um, and, and more likely the Chinese as well, have always had that column of commissars with machine guns pointed at the backs of their, their own troops because they do know that their people won't necessarily perform the way that they would hope they would. But these plans are written by ideologues, and then Western plans at least are written by realists, well, which supposed is why to they've be. worked. <laughs> they're supposed to be. And to be fair, our plans seem to work out as far as dealing with, with actual conventional warfare means. Our plans seem to work a lot better than theirs do. Well, there's... there's um. A Canadian colonel, I can't remember his name now, but uh, I may have mentioned it before, probably about three years ago, and he wrote a, a paper called Why Arabs Don't Win Wars. And it's basically a lack of trust because all decisions are made by fairly senior officers. And as soon as the chain of command is broken, nothing happens. Everyone sits down, thumbs up, bum, brain in neutral, waiting for the new brass to turn up and tell them what to do. One of the things that all armed forces have are things called force multipliers, such as snipers. Snipers are fundamentally there as intelligence gatherers and a byproduct of their super good field craft and shooting skills is that they can take out the chain of command. As soon as someone looks important, shoot him. That slows things down. So, so those force multipliers. Yeah, it doesn't leave much. I, that, that's interesting. I hadn't actually read that anywhere, at least not yet. Uh, but I, of course, I wasn't really turning my attention at the moment to the Arab world because I've been kind of focused on everything in the Far East. But that doesn't leave much in the way of redundancies when it comes to your command and control. I mean, you're no, supposed to have it, like backups and reserves. Forces, everybody should know the job of the guy just below him and the guy above him. Right, right. And they have nothing like that. The Russians do not have a trust-filled system. Well, the, so, the Russians, well, to their yeah, to, to the point of of the Russians, they actually have. Um, it's interesting how this works because we don't have any kind of a counterpart to this. I was actually reading on this today, and it's mentioned several times throughout the uh, the book. But they have uh, what's called um, the ability to operate independently. Well, independently to us, even though we're from different countries, we understand when we get cut off from our command and control. We understand what we need to do. They are instructed that they need to operate independently, but it can't be outside of the confines of within said mission, as in whatever instructions that they've been given, they are not to deviate from that. Yeah. Within certainly our armed forces, because training is expensive, and you mentioned that uh, on the podcast, I believe, yesterday, at least came up about just how expensive it is to train certain people. Once the mission is no longer a viable option. People are ordered to make their way back via a, a set of rendezvous points uh, and exfil so that they can regroup and still be useful the next time. You don't reinforce weakness, which that is kind of what the, the Russian principle is. They will throw as many vehicles and men 
at the target as possible. And if the first lot all die, they'll just throw some more. You don't reinforce weakness. When the plan fails, you fall back, you regroup, you think again and come at it from a different angle. And sometimes there's contingencies within a plan, but it, it takes trained leaders to make those contingencies work. So if if you're having to go to contingency because they've just put a 762 sniper bullet through the colonel's head, then it, it becomes more difficult to to get those contingencies into action. So yeah, I don't want to talk too much about that because my currency is long expired and I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I think what I have said so far still stands. Yeah, and to to your point about um, kind of echoing that to the, uh, the the current strategy that we're seeing out of the uh, the Russians because we can actually see them in theater in Ukraine, and uh, perhaps you have a considered and informed opinion on this, but uh, Bruce and I were watching some video last week of these Russian anti tank battalions. They were in a town and they were laying. You probably heard us talking about it. They were laying yeah. anti tank mines, and then three they leave, and then three hours later, a tank battalion comes through and they drive over their own mines and blow up. These guys can't be getting any training if that's happening. It's, that, that's not necessarily a training issue. That's a communications command and control issue. Well, yeah, yeah, but even then, um, that shows a breakdown. Once, once a minefield has been laid against all conventions of modern-day warfare, then the position of that minefield is passed to all friendly units. And anti-tank mines are not small things. They're big. They're high explosives and lots of it. And you'd think if they've, if, and they're expensive as well. They're, 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 they're quite an expensive type of munition. If you're going to lay them, you would let your nearby troops, all friendly forces, know where they are. If that didn't happen, that's, to me, that sounds a little bit like sabotage. Just a little bit, yeah. That's just unbelievable to me. Okay, do you have anything else on the uh, the conversation we had yesterday uh, before we move on? No. What I'd like to talk about yeah, after you've talked about whatever you you talked no, about. No, I was just gonna I was gonna move on to the uh, the, the the Hugh Edwards thing, but go on. Oh, we'll we'll yeah we'll we'll cover that by all means. But it's news that isn't news, which I think that subject also falls into the hotel where we were had just two channels on the TV. Not that we were watching a lot of TV. We we spent, you know, our time eating, swimming, sunbathing, nice walks, boat trips, you talking to each other. You were yeah, on holiday yeah. after all. You're supposed to do those. But things. every now and again you you just retreat back to the room for a bit of a siesta, uh, a smarten up, and we flicked the TV on and there was two channels. One was BBC News world news and the other one was sky news so two propagandist um outlets uh, there's there's no other way of describing them it's the same uh, where was i i think i was in uh i can't even remember oh yeah i was in mallorca and they had just those two it was i was in magaluf yeah. and they had just those two it was just bbc or sky news those were the only english channels they had yeah and, he, and even then sky news was um blocking and freezing and and couldn't really be watched so i only had the BBC, really, to watch. And the story uh, that caught my attention was this um, sanctions imposed on the US by Beijing about selling them gallium and germanium. Two scoops was um, full of vitriol and rhetoric about the whole situation. But this isn't news. And it, it could be a no story at all 
with probably very little turnaround because, uh, I mean, just for the benefit of the listener, and I don't want to get too boring about this. When I was a kid, uh, after school, I started college learning how to be a, a, an electronic circuit designer. That was the purpose of the course. I didn't complete the course. I ran away to the army instead. But gallium and germanium are two doping agents added to silicon to create P and N type that's positive and negative material from which you build up your layers of integrated circuit and electronic chips. Thing is, neither of those substances are actually mined directly. You can't go and dig up gallium. You can't go and dig up germanium. They're both byproducts of basically the smelting of bauxite to make aluminium, um, smelting copper, zinc, and nickel gets these these mineral byproducts. So basically, we're talking about uh, an industry that globally produces seven tonnes of these materials per year. And the price of them is is eye-watering. They're, they're $4,600 an ounce. But even then, seven tons times $4,600 an ounce comes out at uh, 90 and a quarter million dollars per year. And in global economic terms, that is a drop in the ocean. It's, it's almost negligible when you consider how much money Western countries have just spaffed on a pandemic. Um, $90 million is, is nothing. But I also tried to, to figure out why we stopped. Why did we stop producing our own? In the UK, we've got two aluminium smelting plants, one in a place called Lynmouth and the other in the Highlands of Scotland. And combined, their output is something like 200,000 tonnes of aluminium per year. So with just a, a fairly small, inexpensive addition to their smelting process, they could produce their own gallium. And we also produce nickel, copper, and what was the other one? Zinc in the UK. We could produce our own germanium and other doping agents. And I dare say that the United States have got their own aluminium, zinc, copper, nickel smelting plants. So we don't need to buy this stuff from China. So that whole piece of news isn't a piece of news at all. And it just shows how Two Scoops is um, using the rhetoric to make it look like he's doing his job and standing up for the high-tech industries in the U.S., but what they actually should be doing is producing the stuff themselves. I agree. And there is uh, an initiative on now, and they are looking to take this on in the U.S. There is a private company. Uh, I will not say which, but it is still uh, in the works. They're in the process now of building a two point, I want to say it's like a $2.3 billion microchip manufacturing factory in, 
I want to say it's Nebraska is where they're or it's either Nebraska or Kansas. And we will be able to do our own domestic microchip manufacturing because we need to like we need to sever that connection to China yesterday. Um, now, yeah. here's an interesting question. Uh, and by the way, the Europeans are looking to do the same thing. The Germans are in the process now. They just finalized the deal of building a I want to say they ended up on a price of like 17 billion dollars, I think is what it ended up being of uh, Intel microchips that will be made in Germany. When I saw a couple of years ago, there was a story on that for about a day. And when I saw that, I said, they're going to let Taiwan go. Now, Taiwan, as everybody knows, at least I hope everybody knows, that's where all of our microchips come from now. So yeah. if you like your smartphones, your refrigerators, your cars, your televisions, all that stuff, it comes from Taiwan. All the microchips come from there. If China moves on Taiwan, that's the end of that. Now, what's interesting is, is I believe that we would have to destroy those factories to prevent them from falling into the hands of the communist Chinese. They're already in the hands of the Chinese communists. You can't expect anyone to believe that a relatively tiny nation like Taiwan has not been completely overrun by Chinese communists. And I think I've got no strong evidence. It's just a really strong gut feeling that China would rather keep Taiwan producing the West's chips for them because it allows them to build the back doors into the integrated circuits that they are currently dominating the cyber war with. That's just a gut feeling. I've got no real evidence for that. There's There's been reports on, it was the BBC I was watching, unfortunately, just while I was eating dinner. But yeah, apparently we are under constant attack by Chinese intelligence services through cyber means. And the reason why they seem to be so successful is because they they know the codes. They 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 know where the key is hidden under the mat by the dustbin at your back door. I think that's been a, a play of theirs for a long time to have the the back doors put in. So that I mean it's that would plan, make sense. It's a yeah, it's a plan of any intelligence service is to always uh -huh. make sure you've got something that can hear, see, uh, and and then retransmit everything that's going on within the enemy. And so it's it's not a surprise, but China would probably rather keep the facade up, let Taiwan keep producing our chips, uh, and still have that access where and when they need it. Yeah, but obviously that... what we do Yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say that we should just we should in order to counter that is my point is, is that we should just say, all right, make your chips, take the factories. We're going to make our own and we're going to just produce our own. We don't need them. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. So this this idea that um, we need to buy, um, you know, pentavalent and trivalent doping agents such as germanium, iridium, gallium, ars arsenic um, from China. We don't. We can make it ourselves. It's it's part of a process, part of the process from smelting metals that we use all the time. So why, when, and how uh, did we suddenly start to buy all that stuff from China? Because the first real chip factory, uh, I think was I think it might have been Texas Instruments um, producing yeah. them in Silicon Valley. That's mm -hmm. what's called Silicon Valley because you know it. it when it when it starts off, it's it's quite a big chunk of silicon, which is then sliced up very thin, and these doping agents are added to them at a molecular level 
so that it produces different types of material. As I say, P-type and N-type. One has got positive holes and the other one has got negative carriers, which are the electrons, which means that when you put a potential difference across a PN junction, you get current flowing in a known direction, in a particular direction. The very first component is a diode, and then you move on to transistors, and then you've got all the other things. I mean, that's old That's old money now. Um, obviously, all of these things are now on a printed circuit, uh, on an integrated circuit, and are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Back in the day, um, if you could identify a duff component, you could replace it. Now you have to replace the whole chip because you cannot repair them. I really wasn't thinking about talking about microchips, but um, barring any kind of a, a new revolution, and I, I think we're on the cusp of that, to be fair, um, but barring any kind of new revolution in a new material, I believe that we're going to be stuck with this concept of buying our chips from uh, a foreign adversary. Let's just be honest about what that is. We shouldn't be doing business with an adversary because this becomes a national security issue. And by that, I mean our military equipment that are dependent on computers, that are dependent on microchips that are in those computers. Where do you think they come from? So this leaves us yeah. open for national defense issues. Uh, and so just from a national defense standpoint, from a national security standpoint, we shouldn't be doing this. But to your point as to why did it happen in the first place? Outsourcing. Yeah. The global economy. It's the, it's the same old story. Maybe a not too disconnected similar situation is our local council here have just made every single car park in the town centre. You have to now download an app. You can't go and put coins into the parking meter. Um, who comes? I'm sorry. Who comes up with this this crackpot schemes? Like, like who comes up with this stuff? Liberal Democrats. That's who idiots. comes up with these kind of crackpot schemes. Why don't you have a machine that you can drop a few coins into, and it spits out a well, ticket, and you put it on your your console in the car, the dash, and then you go. Yeah. Well, when I wrote to complain to the council, I, I received the reply today, and their primary reason for changing to the app is that the machines were becoming increasingly expensive to maintain, and they use 3G technology, which is being phased out. Well, I cried bullshit on that, first of all, because what is actually happening now is a third party is taking around about 40% of the revenue on each app payment. So the people who develop the app and operate the app are taking about 40% of those parking fees every time someone uses the app. The other thing is 3G, the way in which you update a machine to work on 5G is you change the SIM card. SIM cards are not very expensive. SIM cards are just a case of pop-in or pop the old one out, pop a new one in. So that tired, tried and tested stock answer from government, whether it be local government or national government, oh, we're doing it to save money. We're looking after your tax money, is absolute twaddle. What they've done is they've hired a third party to create an app. That third party are operating the app and they're taking money out of the council's pocket from those car parking fees uh, and putting it in their own. So it's a, a very short-term, short-sighted 
way of saving money because in the long run, if they'd just updated the machines, they would have kept all of that parking revenue. And this is what happens every time you hear the word outsource. It means someone in your local area is getting screwed out of money. So all the people who used to work in call centers for organizations like Virgin Media and um, all of the other phone companies, where are they now? They're in Manila. They're in Mumbai. They are not in the UK where the people are using the service or the US that, you know, it's outsourced to somewhere cheaper and less effective. And and it's a, a loss of jobs. It's a loss of effective service. Outsourcing isn't always, in fact, seldom is the real answer. So why we've done it with our chips, I just don't know. Well, I do know it's because that way a undeclared enemy, for that is what China is, that's another problem with the sticking plaster that Bruce wants to rip off. We haven't said you are our sworn enemy, therefore we can't treat you like an enemy and therefore we'll continue wherever it seems to suit someone's pocket to do business with you. We actually had, uh, what's her name? What did you call her? The US Treasury Secretary, Betty White, I believe you, uh, yeah, yeah, Be- you called her. Betty White with Money. Yeah. Well, Betty White, I'm sure she had lots of money. She's dead now. Uh, no, actually, uh, she was uh, she was meeting with um, China uh, delegates the other day. She, she was in China uh, and she she said very clearly the following. We seek to diversify and not to decouple. The decoupling of the world's two largest economies would be destabilizing for the global economy, and it would be virtually impossible to undertake. You see, we can't decouple from China because, well, you see, that would be disastrous for both economies. Yeah. You know those force multipliers I was talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I wish I was one somewhere in that room because I, I would make a, a world of difference at that point. How? How? Well, we know how, but why have we put up with it? Why are we not more vocal and proactive about removing these useless people, to, to coin a phrase from Harari, from these positions? I have an answer for that. Whereas at least it's the same in the UK. You guys have a little bit different system, obviously, with the constitutional monarchy and everything like that, or whatever. Yeah, it's not even a const. It's not a constitution that you guys have because you don't have one. But it's the agreement you have between the the government and the monarchy. But you still have locally elected officials, councils that you can actually go to, and you can voice your concerns at council meetings and council halls and everything. And you can have people within a local council that will fight on your behalf, or they're supposed to anyway. Our system is based on nearly the same thing. Our systems are from the bottom up, not from the top down. But see, they don't want people to understand this. They, they want to keep the centralized control at the top and then have it trickle all the way down. But that's not what our systems are supposed to be. Our systems have actually been inverted because those of us that you're complaining about, and I'm not disagreeing with you, have been too busy over the last three decades. We've been going to ball games. We've been raising our families. We've been watching movies. We've been working our jobs. We've been getting our our education and, and getting our children's education. We've been going to our religious institutions, if you're the religious type, while these other individuals like you're talking about, these useless bureaucrats, have been getting into elected positions. And they've been changing everything while all of us have been busy actually living life 
and creating a life for ourselves. Yeah, I see that because let's face it, none of us really want to do those jobs, but it's got to the point where the people that are doing those jobs are doing such a bad job, pointing case Rishi Sunak, who again has missed Prime Minister's question times in the House of Parliament for some totally made up reason. I think he's just tired of being ridiculed and made to look the utter buffoon that he is. Then again, we should not underestimate them by thinking of them as buffoons because whilst they are being ineffectual in making the country's situation better, they are still moving that plan for social social scoring, for a totalitarian system of government, for a global government ahead. Because every step backwards that the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and all the other um, European nations make by allowing these duplicitous politicians to, to get away with doing such a bad job um, takes us closer to that totalitarian state. And so they, they are being effective, but not effective in the way we want them to be effective. On to our story of uh, this BBC uh, television presenter. You know, everybody thought that it was going to be Jeremy Vine. He was, I was trending. hoping it'd be Jeremy Vine. <laughs> everybody, everybody thought it was going to be him. He was trending on Twitter a couple of days ago, and he was outraged, so much so to the point where he actually made a public statement saying, no, it's not me, and expect to be hearing from my attorney on everyone that's that slandered me over the last 48 hours. So it wasn't him. I'm reading from the uh, the Daily Mail here. Uh, this was the article that was posted on the 8th, because this has been going on for about a week now, so we've been kind of waiting on it. Stripped half naked, the BBC man was on his sofa waiting for my child to perform. The mother of the youth was paid £35,000 for sex pictures by a famous host, who tells the shock of seeing lewd images of the star as a man could face a police probe over crimes carrying a 14-year sentence. Well, we know who it is now. It is Hugh Edwards. This is the statement that was released by the BBC on his behalf. His wife actually made the statement. It's yeah, uh, Vicky. Vicky. Yeah, yeah, she, she made this statement. Well, in the last few minutes, the BBC presenter has been named as Hugh Edwards, the man who has been accused of paying a teenager for explicit photos, and he has said he is resigning. Um, I'm joined now by our media editor, Katie Razzle, and Dominic Casciani, who is our uh, legal correspondent. Uh, Katie, tell us more about what we have just learned in the last few minutes. Well, yes, this will come as a huge shock to viewers. Uh, we've had a statement within the last few minutes from Vicky Flind, who is the wife of Hugh Edwards, um, who named him as the BBC presenter facing allegations and said about her husband that he was suffering from serious mental health issues and is now receiving in patient hospital care where he will stay for the foreseeable future and she asked for privacy for her family now as we've been reporting for days on the bbc he just so happens to come down with a medical emergency and he has to be hospitalized so no public statements can be made and they've asked for privacy just as if he had just passed on who knows he may have tried to take his own life it's so possible, yeah. in which case in which case he would have been hospitalized sectioned and any further comment is against the law. But do you remember when we were talking about Zuckerberg sacking 
all those people and my first yeah. day at Facebook and my first day yeah. at Twitter and yeah. and so on. Yeah. And then they all got sacked and they were crying their eyes out. And you've got a lot of people engaging in this OnlyFans way of, of making money. It is yeah, we, just, we saw one in prep. We were looking at it. There's an Antifa leader who's an OnlyFans star. And it's like, how, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, all that feminism and equality and diversity, but she'll do anything to herself on video for a few dollars. And the original story uh, that was broken by the Sun newspaper uh, was saying that the the mother of the OnlyFans content maker, uh, I won't call them stars because the only star, no, I won't even say what I was about to say, Sheriff's Badge, I'll just say that. The, the mother was saying that the individual had become uh, a drug addict uh, because of the money they were making out of Idiots like, what's his last name again? First name, Hugh? Edwards. So Edwards. Sorry, I should have should have remembered. Um, you know, the money they were making out of these people, like Edwards. Hey, his salary was and like, probably almost, His salary was almost 500 pounds, 500,000 pounds a year, I think, is what he was being paid. It was like 493,000 or something. Yeah, but that figure of 35,000 pounds, that's probably how much money that individual had made out of all of their OnlyFans subscribers, uh -huh. not just Edwards. I reckon a bit of forensic uh, accountancy well, hang on a minute. Would, this was a would soon determine... This was a teenager. Yeah. That was, you, Seven, if you're a teen, you can't have any of these accounts if you're an underage person, can you? Um, 16 is the age of consent in the UK. In the UK, okay, or, all right for sex, but whether or not to have one of these accounts to to create adult, inverted commas, content, I don't know, because I, I honestly have never looked at one. So I, I do not know. I've talked about it enough, but um, I, I don't know. But The Sun broke the story. Now, The Sun needs to check itself for hypocrisy, because there have been more than one, but the most famous being Samantha Fox, who ditched her education to become a page three topless model. Uh, she later had a uh, a short career in pop music. Uh, apparently, she's probably still quite popular in Germany, where, you know, the land where taste forgot as far as music is concerned. No offence, listeners. But, you know, the son were paying her from the age of 16 to bare her breasts every other day in the Sun newspaper. And as it turns out, she later decided that she was gay and is now probably married to another woman. But generations of young men grew up staring at the page three and the glossy calendars in garages and workshops with Sam Fox and her impressive chest uh, on display from the age of 16. So the Sun newspaper needs to check itself for hypocrisy. There needs to be more investigation into why. All of a sudden, Hugh Edwards gets burnt like this. We've surmised for quite some time now, ever since the Epstein case, that the dirt is being gathered on just about everyone. If you've even remotely done a bit of a dodgy search and you haven't deleted your history, and even if you have deleted your history, someone can still find it, I think all of us, there isn't a red-blooded, gay, heterosexual pansexual, transsexual, pans people. Oh, no, that was a pop 
dance group from the 80s that hasn't made some kind of mistake online and looked at the wrong stuff. It is just too easy to get dirt on people and burn them. I've got a sneaky suspicion, again, just a deep gut feeling that Hugh Edwards was getting tired of churning out the propaganda he was given every day to read off the auto cue on BBC. And there could well have been some whistleblowing afoot. So perhaps the guy gets burnt. But that is purely that's, that's my gut feeling. That is interesting. I, I might have a little uh, a little snippet here of Mr. Edwards that might corroborate that because these people that are in high profile positions like this, they have to be careful. And we're not, we're not defending this guy. Everybody deserves their day in court. And that's where this is going to go. It's up to the court to decide whether or not this man's guilty. But he said this a while back. And let me know what you think of this. One note of caution, always be careful. It's important to check all the sources. They might not be giving you the full picture or they might have made, you know, an innocent mistake. So you need to be careful. Only use those sources that you trust. Are they likely to have accurate information on the story? How much checking do you need to do? Depends on the type of source, but it's usually a good idea to check the information with at least two different sources. That's our policy. So we have truth and accuracy, two of the BBC's basic news values. The audience need to trust you, and that depends on you being accurate. They're important values, and they'll help you become not just a reporter, but a trusted school reporter. Uh, one more important bit of advice. To protect people under the age of 18, you must only use their first names in reports. Never use surnames, okay? That's a good policy too. So good luck finding the new stories. Have fun, and we'll talk again. Yeah, but you see, did he write that piece to give to camera himself, or was he given that piece to read to camera without some more digging? And I don't know if, if we've got the right kind of spade to dig that particular ground over. But the thing is, you say he'll get his day in court. You tell me what he's actually done that's illegal. That's a good point. When you bring up the age of well, consent, that's a good point. The age of consent is 16 in the United Kingdom. Okay. Whether or not the people who run the app, which is... Part is it part of Instagram or or something? What's that? As in OnlyFans? Oh, I think that's its own entity. I I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. Entirely, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it started certain. from one of these other social media networks. It could have. It, it could have. I, it could very well have. I I don't know. I I honestly I I've never so, paid so attention. So whether to that, just... they have broken their own set of standards by allowing this individual to have an account and to put the content up without doing due diligence to check their age. Okay, just according to the, again, according to the Daily Mail article, they say that the individual in question here was 17 years of age. Yeah. So you're saying that the legal age of consent in the UK is 16. Yeah, but you can't okay, get so, a beer until you're 18. Right, but in this case... In this case, I don't think any actual laws were broken and... Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. It's, they say that he could face a lengthy police investigation for potential criminal behavior. I don't get it. I don't see what the what the criminal behavior was. If other people are doing this without being immediately arrested and, you know, stop and search. Let's have a look at your phone. Oh, you've got that app, have you? Right. Let's see what you've been up to. Let's check your bank account and see how many payments to OnlyFans sites you've made. Right. You are guilty of this. There as far as I can see, no actual crime has been committed by Edwards other than being a sleazeball. 
uh, as you said a while ago, why is pornography free? Well, it isn't in this case, but you do pay for it with your soul, or in his case, his career, his marriage, and his mental health. Yeah, and uh, they're they're making reference in here to the uh, the Protection of Children Act in 1978. Uh, it is an offense to make, distribute, possess, or show any indecent images of anyone under the age of 18, even if it was created with the young person's consent. So that's what they're basing it on, is that. Yeah, so was he aware that's that's the crux of it, was he? I mean, can you tell the difference between an oversexualized, heavily made up, well-fed fourteen-year-old and an eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-old? It's harder and harder. Kids these days grow up way too fast, and parenting is getting worse. And and therefore, you know, I would, <laughs> I'm sure I would know. If a 17-year-old or 16-year-old in my household was filming themselves naked and doing things to themselves for the entertainment of dirty old men on one of these apps, I'd know if they were in my house. So, uh, you know, parenting is, is getting worse and worse and worse. And, I, and hear Edwards, the, I hear the rollers coming for you right now in the background. Yeah, come and get me. You'll never take me alive, Copper. But um, yeah, did he know? Did he know the age? And if he didn't, then it's still no excuse under the law because he's he's probably stored some of the videos and photographs on his on his device. Whether or not he was going around the office showing people, I'm pretty sure he wasn't doing that. But the, the real culprit here uh, and. I can probably get sued for saying this, but the real culprit here is that girl's parents. That is an interesting way to put it. Well, unfortunately, my friend, we're going to have to uh, leave that there because we're fresh out of time. Oh, I do have a surprise for you, though. And I knew there'd I'd, be a surprise. Yeah, there is a surprise. You're going to like this one. This one, I think you can have a lot of fun with this one. You've been saying over the course of several weeks now that you're just, well, minus last week, of course, that you're just, you're tired of getting emails with someone's pronouns yeah. in the signatures. Yeah, you're, you're just sick and tired of it. Well, I think I have a solution for you. This is a hurt feelings report that you can circulate <laughs> at your discretion. So when you offend somebody, you can just hand them one of these. This is the administrative data, the incident report, the injury, the re uh, reason for filing this report, and all these information points that you can submit to human resources. Uh, you see there under administrative data, they need the whiner's name. They need the <laughs> rank and grade that they are in. They need the organization name and title of the person filling out the form, uh, date of the report. The incident portion of this is the date that the initial feelings were hurt, the time of the hurtfulness, the location of the hurtful incident, and the NCD or officer that is sympathetic to the whiner, the name of the real man or woman who hurt your sensitive feelings, their rank and grade, and who they work for. In which ear were the words of hurtfulness spoken into? Is there permanent feeling damage? Did you require a tissue for all of the tears? Has this resulted in a traumatic brain injury? And then, of course, the reason for filing this report, you're thin-skinned, you're a wimp, you have woman or man-like hormones, uh, you're a crybaby, you want your mother. The Army needs to fix my problems. My feelings are easily hurt. I didn't sign up for this. I was told I'm not a hero. The weather's too cold. Two beers is not enough. My hands should be in my pockets. I was not offered a post-brief. Someone requested a post brief and all the above and more. And then, of course, you can fill out your narrative and then you print the name of the real man or woman, the signature, the name of the whiner and then their signature. So there you go. 
This could fix all of your I, problems. I, I think it could because um, as whoever was filling that form in read it in those terms, obviously this is a parody, but if anyone did read it in those terms, they might just, you know, give themselves a slap and say, yeah, I need to, I need to move on with my life I, and I need to toughen up a little bit. But the, the so majority fitting. of the emails it is, it so is fitting. fitting. I, I want to show you something very quickly then. Okay, what am I looking at here? For the benefit what of the listener, what are you looking at here what, is, what am I is my reply to the council after I complained about the um, the parking meters. Uh-huh. And the bit I the want first to thing really I noticed, show you... Yeah, but the first thing I notice yeah. here is you're being very polite. I, I have been very polite, apart from, well, maybe the, the first line, which is, I'd like to thank you for getting back to me so quickly. I cannot thank you for the content of your reply, as your answers are as facile as condescending as I expected them to be. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I had fun with that um, just before we started talking this evening. When I filled in the original form that, that they they have on their website, there was all those kinds of things, like, like in that form, basically saying when did it happen what could we have done to make things different so as the thing that they did that really annoyed me was change machines that could receive cash for a parking fee and i said what you could have done is not go blindly along with these totalitarian control and surveillance methods and been a council that actually worked for the people and not just cronyism by getting one of your mates to develop an app which you no doubt got a cut from i didn't actually say that bit because if you say that bit they'll get all litigious on your ass won't they mm -hmm. but anyway yeah. that was quick wasn't it that went by in no time at all it did it did time flies when you're having fun my friend we'll see you next week yeah yeah it will indeed well glad you're back glad you uh had a great vacation uh, or holiday as you say and we'll see you next week see you later mate take care and fairly well listeners it has been a pleasure having you on my friend like thank you for being here today thank you to all of the listeners god bless everyone have a great weekend and we will see you on Monday.